James chapter 1, if you would please open your Bibles. Hopefully they'll open automatically there. Sometimes the glasses are good. Sometimes they get in the way. The cataract stuff works nice, but when you're kind of in the middle, in any case... I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 21, and if you would follow along with your eyes, a little run over from last week and on into a little bit of new stuff. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. May God bless to our hearts the reading of his word. Father, we're thankful that um, we as your children are uh, able physically and mentally to come here and even as uh, our, our hymn was to, to offer unto you uh, our offerings of thanksgiving from our hearts for the goodness and the kindness that you have exhibited in our life. Times of reflection are necessary, even in this time of the year as we, as a nation, um, pause and consider the goodness of the Lord to us. Uh, even this past week, how your tender mercies have kept us from that which we deserve, but showered upon us grace that has not only sustained us, but given us far beyond what we ever had asked for or even thought. And so it is our sincere request that as we again take note of this little letter uh, written so long ago to a number of, of groups of Jewish believers that as it has profited saints in times past, it will profit us today, not only to our ears, but that it would be taken by the Spirit and worked into our hearts for the edification of the saints, for the uh, glory of the God we serve. For it's in his name we'd ask. Amen. I grew up in western New York. Do we hear a yay? A small yay for the, for the other two, you know. And for my earliest days, I considered myself a Christian. Um, Mom and Dad grew up separately in this same faithful uh, denomination, Protestant denomination that they were raised in, one in the country and one in the city of Buffalo. Um, they were married in this church and, and brought us, my sister and I, along uh, faithfully attending uh, this particular church. Uh, my sister and I had no complaints all of our days there. Our attendance charts were filled with smiley faces and stars. We had all of the ribbons uh, showing forth that uh, we were good attenders. 
We participated in all the holiday plays and pageants. Uh, we were all part of the bake sales and the community cleanups. And I think I could say it was a church that allowed me to identify myself as a Christian uh, when asked, and also allowed me to live like the rest of the world that I grew up in, without question. For example, our youth group, um, which was not a small size, found the gallon of communion wine in the vase and hidden by the pastor where he locked away. And yes, we did sample. And there wasn't a tinge of guilt whatsoever. It was a situation that we could blend in. A number of the young people that were in our youth group were also classmates of mine in high school or junior high in high school. And we could chameleon like ourselves uh, blend in with everybody else that we didn't necessarily have to express ourselves in the public arena as being Christians, but we felt comfortable enough as straddling the fence. Don't get me wrong, the church people were loving and kind. And if there was an opportunity for them to be saved by their kindness and good works, um, their, their relationship with each other, so I think they surely would have found their way into heaven. The pastor seemed to know what he was doing, at least as far as I could tell at that stage of my life. Uh, he was a, a pastor who provided um, properly, what I would think, all of the services and ceremonies in an orderly fashion, very reverently. And I think the people treated him with great respect. Yet for 17 years that I spent in that church, I recall nothing of spiritual meals. 17 years that I grew up from those earliest days up until the time that I left, um, there was no spiritual food. There was a Christmas, and, and I do recall it. I don't know about how old I was, but there was something that I just had kind of a feeling. Uh, it was music, you know, the, the, so maybe something from the pulpit, and, and I just felt different that day. So I, I kind of marked that as a day that I was converted, you know, um, if there was ever a time to mark such a feeling. I guess. However, after I moved out of the area, the legacy that that church had given me left me floundering. As I lived on my own, um, I had no assurances, no foundations, no grounding, and yet so many questions in growing up. All that I could do, though, is respond by what the world taught me, because in my own experiences and in my own understanding up to that point, there was no difference. What the church was and what the world was, there may be some set-asides for uh, certain days of the week or do this or that, but there was no difference whatsoever as far as I was concerned. For you see, it wasn't until I was 26 and sitting in another church where the Bible was respected and honored and taught that it provided with me an understanding from the Word of God that my wretched soul was seen and opened up. And I finally saw myself how wicked indeed I was. It was a situation that the scriptures spoke to me, unlike all of the years of playing church 
and learning by word and by example from people who were just as lost as I was that we had no righteousness whatsoever. My righteousness was nothing but churchiness. It was something that I just felt that's just what we do. And yet I finally saw it as nothing but filthy rags. And it wasn't until the word of truth allowed me to see that the only righteousness that I had, the only good that was in me, was not in me, but it was in Jesus Christ. It was his personal work. It's what he had done and was still doing. And that, I could finally say, I was a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. If you look in your text, the passage that we start out in verse 16, and again, we've gone over these, but it's necessary to, again, set the, the scene. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, with, his, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. From these verses, we see that James is saying, for those who have listened to or heard or received the word of truth, they became born again. That's the avenue. And he says, out of this, they became the first fruits of his creatures. That was me. I could see that. What a joy, what a what a change of mind, what a change of heart. I could not be born again by my perfect church attendance, by my participation in anything that was being offered by church activity, by being kind or generous or loving or selfless or anything that was taught to me by word or by example. But I was born again by the grace of God through the instrument of the word of truth, the gospel. And that's how I was saved. Now, verse 19. Wherefore, and this is just one of those little pluses. When you see the word wherefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? Wherefore means, what is it there for? And there, the idea is, when you see wherefore, and sometimes therefore, you, it's a carry-on from the previous section. In other words, wherefore? Because I was born again by the word of truth, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Because we were born again by the word of truth, and this is part of what we dug into last week. These two verses refer to my reaction or my attitude, my propensity to the word of God. And so in order to maximize my reception of such a word, he says to us, be swift to hear. And we talked about that. Be ready to listen. Be slow to speak. It's difficult to hear God when we're talking. You know, just allow him to do it. And to be slow to anger. In other words, refrain from anger. And this is a whole new way of thinking. A whole new way of life. 
a whole new proposition. Mark Andrus writes this. Listening was very important in the first century because books were rare, especially written scriptures. It was an oral culture, and those not disciplined in listening ran the risk of missing out on spiritual truth. So, emphasis here in what James writes, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, because he, James couldn't say, now turn in your Bibles too, because number one, they didn't have them. There may have been a scroll, Old Testament text that was there, but there was no New Testament. So, and you're sitting and you're listening to the message, they couldn't say, wait a minute, let me turn my tape over, or maybe I'm dating myself there, you know. Let me hit my you know, record button on my cell phone, you know. There was nothing. So as he presents it, he says, this first century culture, you had to listen. You may have discussed it later on with people. Is that what he said or however? But that's how it was. Andreas continues, I suggest that we again quickly become, that we are again quickly becoming an oral and visual culture. And so we need these instructions as much as the first century listeners. And I'm urging us to be good listeners. James is suggesting that we need to soak up truth and to be teachable. Very closely related, being a good listener, is the second prerequisite, a controlled mouth. In the world that we live in, and we are, I think more maybe... Men more so. We're a visual type of people, you know. But he says, we're, we're, we're missing out. So out of this, verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Do you know what verse 21 begins with? What's it there for? preceding, the preceding thoughts um, that I was born again by the instrument of the word of God. Because that fact, the word of God brought me to be born again into God's family. And because of all of the blessings that it provides, that the word of God provides, therefore, wherefore, I need to be laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, receive with meekness, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. When I was about 14, we moved to the farmhouse that my, my mom grew up on, and uh, my uncle still ran the farm for a number of years, and uh, most summers, and especially in weekends, it was my opportunity to help out. And uncle always provided us with a little cash, and teenagers can always use a little cash. Um, and yet, after you spend the day in the barn, uh, amongst the animals and, and other things that are barnish, uh, when you come up to the house, and the farmhouse was split level, you come in the back door, and downstairs is the basement, and then up a couple steps was the kitchen, my mom would invariably yell out, Keith, get down to the basement and get those clothes off. She knew the contamination that I was bringing in. It could be smelled. You know, it was obvious to that. And down I had to go. I had to lay apart the filthiness. She wasn't going to have her kitchen 
and the rest of the house contaminated with what I was bringing in. That's the picture that James is presenting to us as we approach the word of God. He says, lay apart filthiness. You know, make sure there's a cleanliness, our approach to the word of God. Get rid of it. Strip it off. Put it away. The contamination that is so prevalent in life before we come to the word of God. I think that's one of the main reasons why so many Christians don't welcome God's word as they should. Don't read it as they should. Don't study it as the opportunity is presented because their lives are too compromised with the filth, the moral filth and the other garbage that is part of our world that we've become very accustomed to. But he also says here, lay apart the superfluity of naughtiness. When was the last time you used that phrase? <laughs> Superfluity is one, you know. Naughtiness, you might tell the little child, you are such a naughty child, you know. Um, but it's kind of an ancient word, more appropriately translated, the superabundance of evil. Sounds like something out of a, a horror movie, you know. This epitomizes not only evil, but this is the superabundance of evil. Um, when we were first married, we made rice, obviously. Filipina has to have her rice, and we did it in a pot. And you put so much rice in there, and then you put the water up to a certain joint on your knuckle, and you put it on the stove and cook it. And invariably, it would be on there, and we could hear, <laughs> it boils over, all over the, the burner and all that. You know. That's the picture of this superabundance of evil. It's not only evil, but it just overflows. It is just so overtaking. And sometimes we sit here and we scratch our heads and say, what's going on with the world around us? Why is it like this? It was never like this. Every corner, every facet of life, everything that we see and read and hear, and, and, and it didn't ever happen in our neighborhood. Or, this is never like this. And so even in, in, in what James presents us by the Holy Spirit, he says there is a, a superabundance of evil and it's overflowing in the wickedness of life. And no doubt to those in the first century, the reality was there. Every day our senses are bombarded or they're baited with something that professes this will make you better. This will satisfy you. This will meet your needs. This will accomplish what you failed to do at this time. Just buy it, just wear it, just do with it or whatever. It, it, and it just continues from every avenue. Our senses are surrounded. You know. The eye gate, the ear gate, you know, the, the, the nostrils. Uh, you, know, you, you don't want something and then you walk by and they're wafting out from this restaurant the smell of something. You say, oh man, I've got to eat, you know. Whatever it is, all of our senses are bombarded and, and offered up these presentations in order to do that which is not necessary. And when our minds and our souls are filled with all this kind of junk food, when it comes to dealing with the real satisfaction of the soul, God's word, we say, I'm kind of full. My, my senses are full. I, I'm I'm going to set it aside for later. You know. 
next hour, maybe this afternoon, this evening before I go to bed. But setting it aside seldom brings about a satisfied product. There's never time. There's never a hard approach because all of my senses have been theoretically satisfied with the, by the world that's around me. Maybe later, never comes. Spiritual house cleaning is needed so that God's word, whether it's written or spoken, can enter into a man's life and accomplish what God intends. That's why he says, get rid of this, lay apart. Filthiness, the superfluity. And we say, well, that's not really wicked stuff. Well, who knows, you know, that avenue. I have a couple passages here, and the Apostle Paul used the phrase put off and put on, looking to the believer. And he said, this is a process of spiritual house cleaning. He's not necessarily talking about the scriptures themselves, but he's asking, no, he's commanding believers. Uh, in Ephesus and Colossae, to put off certain things. In other words, get rid of it. Those clothes, get down in the basement, strip them off, those boots and everything, just throw them in the washer, get them off. But you're not going to come upstairs naked, so mom says, get down there and there's something you can put on. There's a put off, put on. Colossians 3. But now put off all these. Anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that or because of the fact that, wherefore, ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He says, you put on the new man, you're believers. But you shouldn't, as believers, have any of these identity marks of the unbeliever. Put off. Get rid of that kind of stuff. Ephesians 4. That she put off concerning the former conversation. Conversation, old English word for lifestyle. That you put off the former lifestyle of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And... Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speaking evil. Speak, I'm sorry, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one with another. Paul says, put off again. Put on again. Put off those things of the old man, the old nature, the old way of life, all of that old stuff, because it doesn't do anything for you. But because you are a believer, put on through Christ. What is appropriate for that? And then a very beautiful one. This is Peter, 1 Peter 2. He says, wherefore, lay aside, key word again, Put it off, strip it off, get it. lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. We desire what the, the, the truth, 
the, the word of truth, the power of the truth, the clarity of the truth, I desire this. Therefore, I have to put off all of this stuff, strip it off, all of the wickedness that is, is part of me, and I do it because I need to grow. Spiritual growth is necessary. And, and so Peter says, that ye may grow thereby. To put off, put on process, enables the believer to grow. Now, how do we accomplish that? Obviously, for the believer, it's by the grace of God. It's by his emphasis. Now, back to our text, verse 21. We saw the first half of this. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's the put-off process. Now the put-on. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. <laughs> the word. The engrafted word. Um, if you think of things, if you're uh, working plants and so forth, this is not grafting, you know, as we would think, cutting a branch off and cutting it and putting it into so forth. It's, it's, it's a word that, that reflects best embedding. It's a seed that's implanted. It's a seed that's put in, not the matter of engrafting, but it's the same idea. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Allow the word of God to speak. Be humble. I'm sure Tim has mentioned in Sunday school the Berean church in Acts 17. And the quality that that Berean church had that was most evident, the scripture says, that they received the grafted word, the word, with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They had a teachable spirit. They had a willingness to take that which is there. In other words, I'm, I'm seeing their hearts and minds are not cluttered with a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on. You know, what did the emperor say today? Or what's going to be up at the Olympics today? Or whatever that's going on. They came, when Paul came, they were ready and they had a teachable spirit and they received this word daily. And yes, they did search the scriptures because they knew that's the source of, of where things are. And for those who, you know, poo-poo that kind of stuff, he said, well, this Bible stuff is whatever, they're so full of the world that they don't even think of the Bible as being a source of truth. They received the word. They welcomed it with the teachable spirit, welcoming the word as probably most of you will welcome people to your house on Thanksgiving or be welcomed into somebody's place for a Thanksgiving meal, you know. I'm happy to see it. I'm, I'm longing. I want to be together with it. That's how they looked for the word of God, as something to be brought into their hearts and lives. So we are to humbly receive the word, not just on our head as a matter of knowledge. And we can all do that. You know, Any monkey's uncle can go along and sit and memorize all types of facts and figures of the Bible, but have it miss from here to here. You know, not a, but our reception goes into the head, but it measures by the amount of what's received within the heart. Remember last Sunday we mentioned the parable of the sower. And we used by illustration the first sowing that went out and that the sower came and, and sowed the seed and some of it fell by the wayside, the side of the road, things were all packed down. 
and the seed fell there and the birds of the air, the fowls of the air came and they ate the seed up and, and, and it disappeared. And Jesus gives the, the translation or the understanding of that. He says the word of God is sown and he says it's just not taking any depth whatsoever. It lays on top um, and, and then he says Satan comes along and snatches it up. It just disappears. Well, the second illustration that Jesus gives there of the sower is a seed that fell upon rocky soil, shallow, and as it grew, uh, there was no depth to it, and, and it ended up that ends up dying. And then the third one, uh, it grows, and then it grows amongst thorns, and it was, Jesus says, well, that's the cares of the world, and the cares of the world choke it off. But the last one is the, the one that I wanted to share, the last of the four sowers, it says, and others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. One out of four. Jesus gives in verse 15 the meaning of it. He says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it and bring forth fruit with patience. That should be our heart. They kept the word. This isn't just a matter of memorization, but my heart is, is empty, it's, it's available. Lord, may your word take it and fill it in that it can be used. That's the fertile soil. It can bruise the hundredfold. And sometimes we wonder, you know, I've been a believer for X number of years here and I just don't see any growth in me. Uh, it's got to be somebody's fault, you know, but, but it ends up that my heart was never prepared to receive it and allow that fruit to be brought forth. God's word of truth has an inherent ability, capability, or power to accomplish the goal of saving our souls. It, by its very nature, does that. From the point of which I receive Christ as my Savior, and it saves me each and every single day of my life. Not, not that I've lost my salvation, but it's a process of sanctification. The word of God has the power, the ability, and it's, it's, it's an innate nature to take me from what I used to be to the place of what I ought to be or what he wants me to be. That's, that's its very power. That's the very picture that it's there had an opportunity last week to share with somebody the fact that I was a sinner. This person was slightly aghast. Pastor, you're a sinner? I think this person thought that maybe I was exempt or that I had grown to a certain spiritual level. You know, you, once you finish classes and you're ordained or whatever, you were, you know, so you're no longer a sinner. I assured him very wholeheartedly that I truly was. But it's the application in this put off and put on process that I needed to daily do. I needed to daily clean house. And there are some days, uh, like, you know, maybe in your house, you know, there are some days you don't want to touch a thing, you know. Nobody's coming to the house today because the house is a mess, you know. Well, some days, you know, this, some days it's a mess and nobody's coming, you know. I've got to clean up. But it's a daily process of put off, put on, in order that the word might be able to accomplish its best intended purpose. In order that I give it 
that ground in order that I am able to take it in, that it feeds my soul and provides that which is necessary. I need to daily cast off sin in order that the word may be providing the maximum benefit to my life. I'd like to close with a little paragraph from David Brainin. He's entitled this Recovering Sinners. Uh, he writes for uh, our daily bread and, and some of the other uh, works. He says, people who are trying to become free from an addiction to drugs or alcohol understand an important concept. They know they will always be recovering. The lure of those substances is so insidious that former abusers who are wise know how susceptible they are to being sucked in again. They must always be on guard. Time and time again, we've seen people in the public spotlight who seem to be cured, but who then have relapsed. The principle is true not only for drug abusers, but for all sinners. Those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross are not recovered sinners, but recovering ones. We are just one sin away from falling back into the self-destructive pattern of behavior. That's why we must be so careful to avoid any activity or relationship that will reintroduce us to the sin we hate. We are tempted when we are drawn toward sin. It doesn't become sin until, we desire, until desire has been conceived, and we saw that in verse 15. And the more we deliberately expose ourselves to temptation, the less our resistance will be. Because we are all recovering sinners, we need to leave plenty of room between us and sin. If we do, we'll be less likely to stumble again. Sometimes I think believers feel that they can touch the fire and not get burned. You know, that we can approach something that has been obviously was seen as dangerous and deadly. Well, I'm a believer and I can just go ahead and do as I please. And the fact of the matter, once that happens, it, it forms a barrier that keeps me from taking that which is necessary to keep me from those terrible sins and to fill my soul with that which satisfies and ministers grace to us. It's, it's, it's the same old thing. Sometimes we just talk about, you know, being people of the Bible way too much. Oh, I've heard that already, you know. But it's necessary. That's what James is offering up unto them and what he offers unto us. Spend some time cleaning house. And I just don't mean today. I mean every single day. Uh, don't allow those things which so easily beset us. And for some of us, it's something's different. You know, uh, what bothers so and so doesn't bother me, but what bothers me can bother so and so. You know, be aware of the deadliness of those things, and allow the Word of God take it in as you put off. Uh, take in the engrafted Word which is not only able, but which does daily save us, brings us closer to the Savior that we love. When it's all said and done, that's, that's how it's going to be. All of this stuff's going to be gone. 
one day. All we're going to be left with is that relationship. You know, we have the opportunity today to not only make it right, make that relationship, but to keep one that he can look upon us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we pause here in the end of this brief look at these verses and are mindful that we're really all in the same boat. We are all children of Adam. We have all suffered under the um, tyranny of Satan and through the, uh, the abundance of the power of his weaponry that he has laid siege upon our souls uh, to keep us uh, as his own. And then as the light of the gospel came to our hearts and allowed us to see ourselves as we truly were and to see Jesus Christ as our only redemption, we receive that which is a free gift. And in receiving it, we also recognize that the battle was not over, that we have the avenue of, of the Spirit to teach us. We have the, the Word which uh, is there to lighten our way and to keep us from sin. Yet, Father, we daily, hourly, minute by minute, need your grace to keep us uh, in the hollow of your hand. Father, may we find uh, great reflection upon ourselves as we look. Um, the word of God is quick and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder the soul and spirit and joints and marrows, and it allows us to see ourselves as we truly are. It allows us to see that we are miserably nothing people, yet people that the Savior can redeem and does. May, Father, we have a renewed zeal to approach your word with an interest and a desire to grow thereby. Help us, Father, to that very end. In Christ's name, amen.